Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations, metrics, and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I am pleased today to be joined by a good friend of mine, dare I say a veteran of the industry, over 25 years experience working in, working on, and now coaching uh, agency owners, in particular in the creative and advertising industry, and really focused on operations consulting, and here today to talk about how to get these two important forces in an agency, operations and creativity, to coexist in a way that uh, doesn't drive people to want to pull their hair out. So with all of that, Rob Sales, thank you so much for being here today. Pleasure. It's great to be here. So I want to start with your background. You have an incredible wealth of experience being you know, in the agency space. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry and what brought you to becoming more of a consultant today. Uh, so I started my career in digital in 1997. I was actually at university uh, studying an honors degree in music production, which I still do. I still do music. Um, but in the final year, there was a new module uh, put into this university course called the Internet. And this is 1996. Like Nobody knew what the hell this thing was. And I remember talking to my tutor and him saying, you know, you're going to be able to share music and video with people all over the world. And it just, it blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> now, I carried on with my music industry profession for a while. But then I thought, this is crazy. You know, sleeping in the back of vans and sleeping on sofas in recording studios and going out touring and all the rest of it. This is just like absolutely killing me. And we've got a young family. So long story short, anyway, I decided to get into the digital industry. There was a new uh, company, uh, probably 10, 15 miles away from where I live, that had started up. They were, came from a print background, but they were starting to do this thing called the web. <laughs> Nobody really knew what the hell they were doing. You think about it, this is like, this is pre-Wi-Fi, pre-smartphone, pre-e-commerce, pre-anything. This was hand-coded HTML pages that looked absolutely horrific when you look back, but we thought that we were the cutting edge. And I kind of cut my teeth in that agency as a designer and a developer, went up through the ranks into senior and started doing some project management as well. Uh, and kind of bounced around a lot of different agencies, kind of learning the ropes uh, around all the different roles um, that agencies could have. And I stuck with it. And I stayed with it for a good 15 years, did a lot of operations management, production management, studio management, COO type stuff for a lot of big agencies, helped a few agencies go through acquisition and exit. And then I took a bit of a break when we moved in the UK uh, took six months off with the kids, just bummed around for the summer, and then went to work for a corporate doing a PMO for a digital division, which was a very different experience. <laughs> Built my own agency. Uh, got to a point uh, through lockdown that I decided that I would exit. So I exited about 18 months ago and started working as a consultant. With the experience that I got, I realized that a lot of 
what's missing for a lot of agency owners is understanding how to construct an agency that can be profitable but can still maintain its its creativity and still be a fun place to work so i started working with other agencies basically applying everything that i've learned over a 20 five year period to help them grow and scale it's it's so uh great that you've transitioned into consulting because you know your background is just incredible spending 25 years in one of the global hotbeds for agencies being you know in the uk mm. some of the the biggest agencies on the planet obviously you know having a strong base there coming out of there and doing that at a time where there's this massive tide shift in the industry with digital coming in um i'm sure you have some war stories before <laughs> we transition into talking about the topic oh, i gotta ask yeah. what's the craziest thing that you experienced in those 25 years working at these firms so there's actually two um because one of them relates to corporate and the other one relates to indie agencies one of the indie agencies that i worked in as a senior project manager we did a lot of launches we did a lot of work with the banking sector a lot of site launches this was at a point that e-commerce was just on the cusp so for people that can remember pre-e-commerce you'll know what a kind of paradigm shift the whole industry went through when e-commerce came along and the banking sector was kind of trying to knit its IT systems and its, you know, all that kind of stuff together around that period. Um, and I was responsible for launching a new uh, website for a major UK bank, like a huge UK bank, um, including all the IT hookups for the transaction systems and the logins and security and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, um, we were using ISDN lines at that point. So this is pre anything to do with Wi-Fi, but post dial-up. So it was a little bit faster, a little bit better. Um, but I made the wrong connection. This is like three o'clock in the morning. So I've got a team of people around me all kind of huddled over their machines in the dark, eating pizza and kind of prepping for this launch. We've got the IT guys on the bank end, you know, hundreds of miles away, but an entire flotilla of IT people getting ready for this launch. And, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, everybody's expected to launch it. There's TV ad campaigns going and all the rest of it. And I FTP'd, so I uploaded all of these files for this website to the wrong location and actually overwrote the entire existing website for the bank. And that feeling, I don't know if, if you or anybody that's watching or listening has ever had a feeling where you suddenly realize that you've done something horrifically wrong. Like just, the, the, it feels like the floor just opens up and you get swallowed into the, you know, fiery pit um it was horrible we we managed to rectify it but it was i think through that experience that i suddenly started to realize how important particularly for project management and ops management like those little details actually are you know having quality controls having qa processes making sure that you know before you take a step what it is that you're about to do because once those files start going up and you can see them going up you know it was probably 99 percent through the process that i thought I didn't check this stuff <laughs> and I very nearly paid the price. I mean, we were really lucky. We managed to get it all sorted out before the 9am bank went live and the TV campaign started running, but that was just a crazy, horrible feeling. The other one's probably a more personal one. Um, and that relates to working in corporate. So I did eight years working as a PMO 
for a major multinational insurance company in their digital division. We did all the digital strategy, all the apps, the website, anything related to marketing, like the thousands of people that I worked with. Um, but I remember doing like a major um, exec C-suite meeting down in London, which I used to do quite a lot. I was kind of posted all over the country to go to all these different departments and all these different locations. But we went down to headquarters to do a major presentation for like the full annual review. So this is all the strategy, all the risk assessment, everything to do with the program of work for digital and all the departments. And I, I just remember after eight years, and my wife had said before, like, um, you know, you're coming home looking a bit gray. I'm thinking, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. You know, there was that whole corporate thing of they don't particularly care about the people. They care more about the the results, you know, the zeros and ones, very binary way of, of operating a business. And I, I just had a meltdown. I remember like coming out of this big board meeting and running to the bathroom. And I, I, I must have had like uh, some sort of adrenal fatigue, just an absolute burnout. I just remember being in absolute tears, um, not able to function for months and months and months. And again, it's one of those things where I'm very much aware that a business is made up of people and you've got to understand what drives people and where people's buffers are. Um, helping them grow, helping them develop those kind of things, which didn't exist when I was doing that stuff. So they're like two very different examples of crazy that I've experienced over my time, which I think has helped me shape how I work with people and also the the services that I provide as a consultant. Hmm. Well, two great stories and masterfully you've tied this in to a segue. It's like, <laughs> you're making my job very easy today, Rob, into the next segment. And um, the thing I want to call out from that, and I'm sure you can attest to this, is that what this exposes, I think a lot of times in smaller agencies, we assume that big agencies have this stuff figured out. Mm. And what I've learned is that nothing could be further from the truth. Like there are certainly things that they have figured out, but I've heard lots of horror stories from the big agencies that these problems aren't solved. They just happen to have the ability to find people that are willing to subsidize those problems with their yeah. evenings and with their weekends and with their sanity. Yeah. And um, they chew them up and spit them out. And uh, that sometimes is a known issue. Sometimes it's not, but it's like these kinds of problems exist at every scale. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, with where I'm based, which is kind of East coast UK, a couple of the big cities that are not too far away, there are the same hundred or so good agency people that regularly do the rounds, you know, between different agencies. They come and go all the time because they get frustrated with where they're working or they're looking for something new or whatever. Um, and it is indicative, regardless of the size almost, that, yeah, that there is a good chance that you will either fry your people or make a, you know, major business blunder or just not have the the kind of culture and the, the the vibe within the agency to have people want to stick around and it's it's effectively agencies are service-based businesses they're driven by providing services to their clients by having people provide those that is they're people businesses fundamentally so let's talk about that um and obviously you have a great perspective on this because you come from having been a creative in a firm mm. to then becoming more of an operations leader and so when you think about 
what you see in clients, what you've experienced in your career, what are the main challenges that come with trying to introduce more process, more systems, and you know, release some of these issues as it relates to the perception or the impact that that's perceived to have on creativity? It's a tricky one because I think on a personal level, there's a certain amount of psychological attachment between creativity and ego. You know, people will make make something creative very personal to them because of the amount of whatever that you put into that creative process. And because of that, detaching that personality or that ego from that thing, that deliverable, whatever it is that you're creating, can be incredibly difficult. So when you're talking to an agency about introducing certain processes, the, the instant, you know, the heckles go up and the, the instant fear is that in doing this, we're going to get rid of all our creativity. We're just going to be, you know, a, a sausage machine that's just churning out very vanilla cookie cutter things. And that's, that, that is a risk. And that's what some agencies do, unfortunately, but that's not necessarily what uh, has to happen if you play it right. Hmm. Now, I I've certainly want to dig into tactically, you know, how do we approach and strategically, how do we approach this? But I want to take a pause here to psychoanalyze this a little bit. Because hmm. uh, I had a recent, I recently had a conversation similar to this about AI and the, in, in particular, writers that were pushing back on this. And there's an insight here, I think, which is if you look behind that objection, at what the insecurity is that's driving it. Hmm. My sense is that for a lot of firms, it's this fear that, well, if we admit that we can create a process that repeats this outcome, then the thing that we say is different about us is not actually really a legitimate differentiator. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like if your positioning as a firm is we're the most creative, then you can't actually really engage with this idea that you can introduce more process and, and actually make those outcomes more repeatable and scalable because it is directly in conflict with a fundamental belief that is propping up your idea of what your business is, how it's, it exists, it's true. And why I, it's different. I, 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 yeah, and I have this discussion slash argument with people about AI all the time. It's a great example, and I'm glad that you, you mentioned it because for me, any process, AI, whatever, is all about augmenting something that already exists. Effectively, it's about getting the, you know, the heavy lifting done by something else, whether it's a, you know, a process for a project manager or whether it's AI for a, a, a you know, a graphic designer or whatever. Um, it allows you to shift up a gear and where the real money is for agencies is in consulting, strategic consulting. It's the thing that a lot of agencies don't understand very well or don't charge for very well. I remember a lot of agencies that I used to work for, they would go out and they would do 20 or 30,000 pound, you know, $30,000 pictures for nothing on the off chance that they would actually then get the gig, they would get the work. And I'm thinking, but you know, that's a hell of a lot of work to put into something, not knowing that you're going to get something out of it. And it's the same with the consulting stuff. There's a lot of, free audits there's a lot of uh things that agencies depending on who they are will go and do for nothing because they want to then get the main piece of project work but there's a whole load of stuff when you look at some of the you know major international 
uh, consulting firms, Deloitte and, and people like that. Th that's all they do. They just do thinking and, and reports. <laughs> they don't do any of the stuff that they give you the report and say, you need to go and do this. So for me, if you can have a process or something like AI that will enable you to augment some of that stuff, it allows you to basically free up time to then go and do something else. Well, what is that something else that you would do as an agency? Well, maybe you could actually start to introduce more strategic consulting as part of your service mix. Yeah, and that, that's I think that parallel exists for AI and for process. And I think you make a really great point here where it's meant to be a lever and it's mm. a tool. And in many ways, what this should do, and I think this is part, some people are afraid of this actually, and it makes sense that they are, is what it does is it, it starts to remove the possibility that your creativity will be gated by skill or by technical abilities, which anybody that's in create, creation in music, in sport, anything like that has felt that tension. And that is really what it means to be on the edge of your creative discipline is that you're constantly trying to push up your skill level to unlock the ability to express an idea that you, you just don't know how to get out. Yeah. And I think that there are probably some creatives that have gotten comfortable with the idea that actually the skill gate is what's been protecting them from the underlying reality that actually they aren't quite that strategic. They don't actually have that nuance of a perspective. They're not really investing in that side of things. It's not a strength of theirs. And I would understand why if that is the position you find yourself in, you haven't done the work to really find like what is core to our point of view as an agency and developing that, then this idea that there's going to be erosion in the thing that's been protecting your position in terms of your skill is uh, is a scary prospect, is something that is going that seems like an existential threat, in particular because they've invested in that skill set over years. So it's almost like seeing the thing that you've invested in over your whole career become devalued in front of your eyes. And I think that explains like why writers in Hollywood are really, really afraid of AI. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you look back through time across the digital landscape and there's always been something that's come up around the corner that's forced the industry to change, you know, whether it is certain design tools or development or platforms or whatever, like something else has come along. When WordPress first came along, you know, it's very first iteration, all the hand coder, HTML, CSS, and JS guys were like, shit, <laughs> now what do we do? But they adapted. And it's the same thing with AI now for, now for creative. I think, the fundamental lesson in all of this for agencies is that if you can find a way to free up your time, you can choose what you're going to do with your time. And if that means having a process in place that streamlines project management or allows you to get more insight into data so that you can make better decisions or allows you to produce more creative faster, then the, the opportunities that that leaves you with is a whole load of extra time where you can upskill or add new services to your stack or whatever it is that you want to do, or just sit back and enjoy the fact that you're making better margin. And so that, that is a perfect segue into really the next question, which is, you know, and we're already kind of speaking to it a little bit, what is the framework for introducing process in a way that actually not only doesn't come at the cost of creativity, but probably also allows you to enhance it in some in some cases. I think the important first thing to do is to audit the, uh, the agency itself, to look at what it's currently doing. Like that's the first step for any consultant really is to do the as is analysis. 
So what is it that the agency is doing in each department? How is it handling projects? How is it handling retainers? What KPIs has it got in place? What goals does it have? What targets does it have? All of those things need to be addressed and documented because then you can work out where you've got time to value or quick win on process. For example, do we need to be doing all these emails? Do we need to be doing all these meetings? Do we need to be producing all these reports? You know, are these, are these valuable things? If they are valuable things, is there some way that we can put a little mechanism in place that will speed that up? Could AI handle some of that? Can we create some leverage around our existing project management system to produce this kind of stuff? Can we give the client direct access to certain things rather than us being the middle now? All of those kind of things will create some some free up time but the important one i guess is to identify what the creative processes are in the agency currently now by creative i don't necessarily just mean you know the guy in the corner that's that's got the adobe suite i'm talking about you know anything that is deemed to be a creative process so for me project management's a creative process to the extent that you're dealing with a group of people i mean i i absolutely geek out at, at timeline plans i geek out at backlogs you know those kind of things super geeky but they're, they're creative to a project manager doing that kind of stuff is something that you know you put a certain amount of of passion and brain power into and then you've got all the development team and you've got the qa team and you've got all the media buyers and whatever else constitutes the actual agency itself but trying to work out what it is that each of the people does on a day-to-day basis will allow you to identify where, as you say, you've got these anchor points where people feel that their job title and their inherent roles and responsibilities are connected to a certain output because they're the bits where almost where the culture exists, but they're the bits where you're going to get the pressure points. If you start changing too much of that, people start feeling disrupted. And when people start feeling disrupted, it's that kind of, tailspin environment where the creativity instantly starts to go down productivity starts to go down because people feel like the very reason for them being in the agency is being affronted so you've got to actually work out what your moves are going to be around what can we change that will move the dial for the business from a productivity and profitability point of view versus are we going to start actually upsetting people and disrupting the way that we produce what we produce? Because the last thing that you want, especially if you're an agency that's on a scaling path, is to lose the key people because you put a process in place that has annoyed them so much they don't want to be involved in it anymore. You know, they're off down the road to find someone else to work for. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. It makes perfect sense. And I'll, I'll read back what I think I'm hearing um, in layman's terms. It sounds like really it's about talking to people, getting hmm. an understanding of what they do, what's important to them. And I think what's universally true is if you ask, you know, every person that you work with, 
what do you love doing? What do you want to do more of where, you know, what lights you up and what part of your job don't you enjoy gets in the way is frustrating. Like you'll find the opportunities to shape a process in a way that clearly aligns to giving that person more leverage. And it's starting with this question of what's happening and how do we base the process on that? That is kind of the, the key starting point. So you're shaping it to reality as opposed to trying to impose process um, and and shape reality, bend reality to your will into that process initially. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you know, effectively, this is 10% process, 90% people. The, the, the whole thing is, is much more biased towards people. It's part of the reason why people hire me in as a consultant as well, because having an internal production manager or COO or, you know, somebody in that operation space do this piece of work sometimes carries a bias. Either it's a, you know, a, a, an emotional bias or a connection with certain people and not with others. There may be politic within the agency. You know, it, it creates a, a slightly fractured view of what the truth actually is. But if you go through that process with each of the team, almost like a, a stop, start, continue board, you know, what is it that you would like to stop doing? What is it that you want to start doing? And, you know, what do we carry on doing? You'll, you'll very quickly work out per person, per department, and then across the whole agency, a pattern of things. And ultimately, that's what this is all about. It's looking for a pattern of changes that you can implement. Pattern's the key word. And what I, my experience with this is like, a lot of times, just the exercise of sitting down and asking those questions and mapping out, like, okay, how do you, how do you create a strategy for a client will be insightful to the person that you're asking it to, because a lot of times they won't even notice they won't realize that they have a process that they go through until you help them see that they do. And it helps to start to break down this um, conflation of uh, consistency of process versus homogeneity of output, yeah. which I think is one of the initial uh, guards that tend to go up with creatives is they immediately assume, okay, if we introduce process, then that means that I actually can't there, there can't be as much variability in the things that I create, which mm -hmm. I think is an important distinction to make. What other pitfalls or kind of traps do you see people fall into as they try to go down this, this path or objections that might come up? I think a lot of it is a little bit like pushing the piano up the hill, you know, where it is slipping back, constantly slipping back. You, as you put a process in place, you've got to make sure that it's done incrementally and that you've got people on board. And also that you don't allow it to slip back into effectively what could be deemed to be cultural habits. You know, everybody's got habits. We're all habit-driven people. But it's very easy to do something and not see what you perceive to be great impact in a short space of time. So you start to allow it to slip. And before you know it, you're back into that same opposition again. So it's having that consistency. It's setting some small tangible steps and small goals that you can take that you can clearly measure. Now, whether that measurement is an obvious one, you know, it's a KPR, an OKR or something else that you can see on a system or a dashboard, or you can see in your accounting software or whatever that, that shows there's definitely been an improvement or whether it's a non-tangible one, whether you actually need to start thinking about surveying the team or getting feedback or, you know, doing some emotional analysis. Does the team feel less stressed? If it feels less stressed, does it mean that it's actually now got more capacity to be creative? Is there more uh, fundamental flow of ideas now because people aren't actually felt quite so much like they're backed into a corner because we've put something in place that stops that from happening? 
And there's so many other things, right? It's like, are they getting the right information at the right time? They're getting the right kind of context. They're getting that context in the right kind of medium. These are all the kinds of things that you can start to uncover as you go through this kind of exercise of understanding like what creates a great outcome and what creates a great uh, context for you as a creative to do your best work. And how do we produce those conditions yeah. on a more frequent basis, right? It is, I think, a really compelling thing. And what's important here is you're talking now about, okay, you've implemented the process. How do you actually make sure that it follows through? And it comes back to feedback. And I think that this is important as it relates to how we started this conversation, which is going and actually co-creating these processes by talking to the team, because that feedback conversation is way harder if there wasn't any buy-in built, if there wasn't yeah. any context built at the start, yes. right? If you're trying to dictate like, hey, you're not following the process without being able to have the conversation more like, hey, this thing happened <laughs> that we mentioned was going to happen yeah. when this didn't happen in the process, but we noticed that that didn't like... There's, it's just so much easier to have that conversation. And so how you start is really important to how you follow through, it sounds like. Yeah, and, and, and it's a cultural shift. I mean, ultimately what you're doing is you're taking everybody on a journey of actually understanding how improvements can be made, what those improvements should be, how you implement those improvements, how you incrementally check that those improvements are happening. It's all part of getting everybody on board. As you say, you can't just micromanage, which is what I saw in corporate a lot, where you simply go in and stamp your foot down and say, this is going to happen. Nobody understands why it's going to happen. They don't really feel involved in it. They certainly don't buy into it. They feel like they've been policed or micromanaged. Like as soon as you do that, all of those things will erode the creativity and by proxy, the productivity and by proxy, the profitability. So you've got to get everybody involved in this process and make them feel like, it's theirs. That sense of ownership, that sense of team ownership, that sense of culture is the thing that will really move this forward consistently because then they all start working with each other. They start bouncing off each other. They can see that things are getting better and they collectively want to continue. And so let's, I want to continue to double click on this follow through piece. So those feedback loops, it sounds like coming through data, if you can get it mm -hmm. and just subjective feedback from the team. Yeah. Um, if that's not present, which is going to be the stuff that we're already familiar with, the one-on-ones, the project retrospectives, the postmortems, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. um, are there any other kind of frameworks that you have for, first of all, creating that surface area for feedback and iteration once you've agreed with the team and co-created with the team a process that you think is going to lead to a better outcome? Yeah, I mean, the most obvious one is to put that internal thing, like top of the priority list. <laughs> most, agencies, most agencies don't look after themselves. You know, it, we all know it's kind of a common thing that most agencies' websites and marketing materials and things are woefully out of date because they're too busy doing other stuff. But unfortunately, a lot of agencies are too busy to actually make sure that their own team and their own processes is the number one thing. You're constantly out there selling and serving clients and you forget that the most important client is yourself. So making sure that there's actually the time there for that thing to happen. And also to make sure that the leadership team, the SLT, whoever it is that's effectively driving this uh, communicates why it's happening and make sure that whatever the touch points are, are maintained. They're not lost. 
So if a project's overrunning for a client, you don't suddenly demolish your team's Friday afternoon feedback session. Like that is the thing that has to be maintained. If people have to work weekends or if the project needs to slip, then so be it. But it's, it's important for the whole team to realize that this is an important process. It's what you've articulated is so important and it's so ironic because the result of not having the process, the result of not having the feedback, the result of not investing in these things is often that you have overruns on projects and timelines slip and scopes creep. And that tends to cannibalize. Even if that time is protected in the calendar, it's the first thing to go. We're going to cancel the retro. We're going to cancel the feedback session, et cetera. And that's compounded if those meetings aren't being run well in the first place and people feel like they're a waste of time, then they're going to be pissed off. If you say, nope, we're still going to spend an hour on Friday afternoon having this meeting and you're going to have to make up for this over the weekend. They're going to be even more upset if they already feel like they're not getting value out of those meetings. So it's critically important. And it's also this, this compounding thing where it's like the less you do that stuff, the worse these problems are going to get. And it's just ironic that that is like, that is the accelerant to your problems, but also the accelerant to the solution. Well, it is. But if you think about it, in, in, in doing the initial audit, in, for example, going through the whole suite of calendars that everybody's got and realizing that there's collectively six hours a week of completely wasted time, you know, meetings for the sake of meetings, well, get rid of all of those. If they're not important, if they don't drive value, get rid of them. Bank that six hours. And as you go through this process, go, well, okay, we've got project managers that are capable of running projects. Why don't we raise an internal project to put this process and this you know, change in creativity and outlook to productivity in place? And we'll use the six hours that we banked, that we've saved by getting rid of some erroneous garbage that we had in our diaries, to actually make this thing happen. You know, you're just constantly checking and balancing all the different projects to make sure that you still make time for this because the worst thing that you can do, particularly as an SLT or a leadership team, is say to the team that you are, for 2024, you want to make productivity and creativity like top of the list of things to do. And you set off down that path and three weeks later, it starts drying up. And other things start becoming more important. You know, it's a little bit like the kid that comes to you and says, you know, I need help with this. And you say no to them two or three times and they won't come and ask you anymore. And suddenly that that vision that you set has just been completely cannibalized by the fact that you can't manage your own time. Totally. Um, and, you know, the other way that that manifests is we're going to spend all this time doing all these internal projects, but it's not actually earmarked. It's like, you're going to keep doing all the shit you were doing before. And then I just expect you to do this on top of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's not usually overt like that, but it's implied. And a lot of times the reason for that, not to, not to plug myself here, but it's like, if profitability is suffering, they actually can't afford to, you know, if they have severe enough indigestion and the business only works, if everyone's maxed out on utilization, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, yeah, we can't afford to invest in these processes. <laughs> so like you kind of got to fix that yeah. because then it's a lot easier to say, no, like I, we can quantify the investment in this, but we can afford to make this investment to not take on a client and protect the time for this team to work on this thing yeah. because it's actually going to pay dividends over time. That is compounding interest that we gain from this investment from the day that it's implemented and, and actually impacts the ability for us to do work better. So, um, it's super key. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to touch on 
Rob, which is let's assume you're doing all of these things right, hmm. but you still have a couple of people that are just fighting you along the way. They're just not getting on board. They're they're not in for the process, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? It's a tricky one because part of the process for me, aside from resetting OKRs and KPIs, is also looking at the org structure and the roles and responsibilities. I like that's really important. Everything should anchor back to the to the key business KPIs. Like the reason why everybody turns up to work every day, fundamentally we should be able to link their activity back to what it is that the business is trying to achieve. If you can't do that, then you've got a, you've got a break point somewhere. Add on top of that, a complex personality, you know, a, a, the guy that's always the pain in the ass, the one that you know, you can't take to a client meeting, the one that you know, if is in an internal meeting is going to just rather than getting on with working together is going to just raise people's heckles and get people's backs up. As a tricky one. I mean, you could go through the process of reviewing the roles and responsibilities of maybe changing the role a little bit, effectively putting them back through a probationary period with a new role, a new set of KPIs that links back up to whatever it is that the business is trying to achieve. But changing people's fundamental personalities is a real tricky one. I mean, you could bring in, you could bring in a counselor, you could do some mediation between the team and a, you know, a couple of people that are, particularly fractures but it might get to a point where you have to go do you know what we could actually find somebody else that can do this role that we need them to do without the ego that is getting in the way and it's difficult especially if you've built an agency you know from a couple of guys in a bedroom and five years later you look around you and it's like how the hell do we have 100 people like this thing has just grown arms and legs and become an organic beast but there is still that feeling of family you know there's still that feeling sometimes in those agencies of you know everybody belongs but you're running a business so fundamentally if if somebody can't do the day job or if you can't shift them into a role that's more appropriate to how they behave or what the business needs you probably need to get to a point where you do a three strikes and out yeah yeah it's ironic too because that person always has so much skill (laughs) so it feels like it's justified like they kind of get to be a bit of a dick because you know they're good at what they do but it's really easy to underestimate the impact that that has on everybody around them um and so yeah it sounds like what you're saying is try to reset expectations try to make some adjustments to set them up for success Hmm. and, you know, give them a couple of opportunities, build that case. And at some point, if, if they're just clearly not getting with the program, might be time to give them the opportunity to find a better place for them. Yeah. There's that, there's that horse and water analogy, you know, effectively, if you think about it, this is a journey that you're going on. You're, you're changing the way that the business functions for the better. And you're changing the way that the people operate within the business i.e the culture and not everybody's going to want to be part of that some people don't want to change and it might get to a point where you go you know we're gonna have to leave you behind we're 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 heading off over here and if you're not with us then you need to be elsewhere and it's the ironic thing too and it kind of reinforces the importance of getting on top of this stuff early is that there are probably people that would have been fine with it if this was just the expectation when you started, yeah. but because things changed, there is inherently a feeling of loss, loss of freedom, loss of the way that it used to be done before, loss mm-hmm. of whatever. 
And um, that can be the difference maker where somebody that probably would have been okay with this process now has this negative sentiment towards it because there was a previous set of expectations that they now have to grieve the loss of. And um, it's a difficult thing to manage. It's it's not always the case that it can't be reconciled, but uh, sometimes it is and, it's, and it, it kind of sucks. Yeah. But that's business, unfortunately. That is that is business. That's the cost of doing <laughs> business. It's why it's why we uh, as agency owners make the big bucks, right, Rob? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. So with that, uh, any final words for of advice for those listening, in particular, really trying to make sure that they get th- this creativity and process working homogeneously inside the business, harmoniously, I should say. Yeah, I think. The fundamental thing is not to be too scared or concerned that you're going to get rid of the creativity by implementing process. What you really want to be doing is working out where the agency is currently at from the point of view of its performance and its team structure and the ways that it does things and where you need it to be. And then take incremental steps but take the team on that journey Um, because in doing that you will start to free up some time with things that either don't need to be done or things that can be done by a more streamlined process you'll start to free up some of the team's time and in that you will start to reduce the stress and create the opportunity to shift into more productive ways of doing things Um, but take careful steps and don't do it by dictate make sure that you do it with the team fully involved because then they will buy in and they will own it and they will move that forward for the whole business and it becomes more enjoyable then you suddenly realize that there's a whole new level of culture that you not even tapped into because you were so busy just running the day to day yeah great advice and and with that rob i'm sure there's lots of listeners that want more of you in their lives where should we send them in the show notes so they can follow you and the content that you publish uh i would say linkedin and between between now and when i can pull my finger out i will put some more content onto linkedin um this is probably the impetus that i need to reignite my content strategy and get some great how to's and ideas and hints and tips out there well i would love that you're a wealth of knowledge so i would love to see more of your wisdom being published and helping people. So uh, we'll have a link to uh, Rob's LinkedIn, his website, uh, so you can check him out and follow him there. And with that, uh, Rob, thank you so much for making the time. It was great to have you. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Just for time. Well, that's all for today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you want to make sure to be kept up to date when we release a new show. And of course, check out Parakeeto.com if you want to dive deeper into our library of resources to improve your profitability, including our free agency profitability toolkit. And of course, if you got some value from today's episode and you think somebody else might benefit from hearing it, be sure to share it with them or leave us a review. All of those things help us impact more agency owners. So with that, thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode.